So there's lots that can be said about what this past year and a half has taught us. Maybe as a church, maybe as individuals, maybe as a culture. And I think a lot of the lessons really won't be known in full until sociologists have hindsight decades from now when it's in textbooks when my kids' kids are growing up and learning about this age for humanity. But as life for all of us has kind of been stripped down and stripped away over the course of the last couple of years and now slowly been kind of built back up again into some semblance of what we might think is normal, everyone has been faced with themselves at some point and what it actually takes to live well. So, as a family, the Kramer Fam Five, as we are known to ourselves, we have a sign up at the top of our stairs that Jen made for us. A lot of stuff was taken away over those couple of years that we really took for granted, that we didn't really consider much. Kids' sports, music lessons, going to eat out in restaurants, social gathering, especially time with my parents. And all that evaporated, kind of like that, right? Having to go for months without a lot of those things, I can confidently say my parents are really the only thing that we missed. Instead of all of the running around and all the craziness that we fill our lives with in North America, we filled our times with doing things together. And I can honestly say... <laughs> We like each other a whole lot more than we like anyone else. And that's nothing against you. But, man, like, I love my family. And instead of going everywhere else, with everyone else, we just huddled together and we played video games and we watched movies and we read books and we played cards and we built models and we ordered in a lot of pizza and cheeseburgers. And I regret none of it. So much of what life was filled with that we were spending our time on wasn't actually life-giving. It was just stuff that we fill our time with as North Americans who think we have to stuff every single moment full with things or we're missing out. We still haven't gone back to a lot of this stuff, like kids' sports or music lessons or restaurants or socializing in general, and frankly, we don't really miss much of it. Because when it all gets stripped away and taken down to bare bones, you have the chance to realize what actually matters and what it actually takes to live well. So how do we live well as a church? Because like everyone else, over the past year and a half or two, we basically got stripped down to the absolute bare minimum of what life together looks like. And we have been presented with maybe the best opportunity in centuries to figure out what actually matters in the life of a church and what's actually worth building back into our time together and our culture. We had to do away with live music, with offering baskets, with in-person Sunday school classes, with potlucks, with kids and youth ministries, with social events, all this stuff, it all evaporated into the ether, right? When we're rushing around and then the busyness is taken away, it's a good opportunity to take stock of life and examine how do we really live well as a church and what actually matters. I'd like to offer you this morning that living well as a church is better defined by who we are than what we do. 
Living well as a church is about embodying Christ more than it's ever been about fulfilling functions. So how do we live well as a church together? I think it starts with living into the fullness of who Jesus has called us to be. As Paul put it in 4 verses 1 through 3, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And what is this calling that they had received that Paul mentioned? To be the church. Really that simple and really that tough. To be a group of people that were once not a people that now are a people through the work of the Spirit. United in love and grace and mission to embody all that Jesus taught and to invite others to come in and experience that life-giving love too. And all this is through the uniting power and the bond of the Holy Spirit living and active in every follower of Jesus. Living our best life as a church is about being the church, not doing stuff and then hoping that a church takes shape in the middle of all that doing. As we are the church, let's live like Jesus matters. As Paul put it, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Nothing more quickly proves whether you value something than whether you look like you actually care about it. Because even as a relatively socially awkward guy that misses a lot of what people are thinking is obvious in social interactions, I can tell you in about five minutes, I can tell whether somebody cares about their job or not. It becomes really obvious really quickly. There is nothing that destroys a person's drive to succeed more than believing a job is not worth doing. So when I was in college living in the dorms with my roommate Jared, he and I did just about everything together. Best of friends, we still talk together every week 20 years later. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot from him. We took this class together on the Gospel of John and had an assignment to create a detailed outline of all the themes in John. I think my paper wound up somewhere in like 15 page length, just for context. I enjoyed it and learned a lot from it. Jared, not so much. It came down to the last night before the assignment was due, and he'd hardly touched it, but it was time for our regular time of computer golf on Lynx Golf on our PCs in the dorm. We even dressed the part, as you can see. You, we did not have girlfriends at that point. Now, after the hour and a half that it took for us to get our round done, Jared got to work for a couple hours. And then Jared got sleepy. And then Jared gave up. And he quickly typed up something like two to three pages of jot notes, called it done so we could turn off the lights and get our usual three hours of sleep before doing it again the next day. And when we got our papers back a week later, this is what he received. Probably tough for you to read from there, but I'll quote. And just for context, Jared was a really gifted guitar player. Jared... If I had to pick between being able to play a guitar and write a paper, there might be some question, but there's no reason I couldn't learn to do both. 
but it will take more effort than you have evidenced in this project. I don't want to harass you, but I must be honest with you, from Carl. Twenty years later, Jared and I still laugh at that long-handed note written at the bottom of the paper and the lessons learned therefrom. As humans, we generally put effort into what we value appropriate to how much we actually value it. If we truly believe that following Jesus is worth it, and that embodying Christ as the church is of value, then our lives are going to have to evidence it in some way. And if they don't, well, it's fair to ask what on earth we're even doing here this morning. Live a life worthy of the calling that you have received, church. Because when lived well, it looks a lot like the character of Christ. So go ahead and live out the character of Christ to the fullest. Paul wrote in verses 2 to 3, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, it's one thing to go and tell somebody to go work on humility, gentleness, patience, and being loving. James mentioned all those things last week when we were talking about what the character of a believer looks like and the work of the Spirit that that brings. But I'll tell you, man, it feels like a whole other level together to call somebody to be completely humble and gentle on down the line. Now, maybe a more literal translation of this passage would look like, walk the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness. Because as I read this list of being completely gentle, humble, etc. on down the line, it's funny how many of these traits, the characters of Jesus, humble, gentle, patient, loving, peaceful, when I read them were all answered with a, yeah, but, in the back of my brain. Be humble. Don't be a doormat. Be gentle. But, But somebody still has to do the dirty work, right? Be patient. But at some point, you still have to get things done. And while it's true, being a Jesus follower isn't about being a doormat that never speaks a difficult word and just prays for God to do it all while never lifting a finger, there's something to be said for not being a jerk. Don't be a jerk for Jesus. The North American church has more than enough of those already. We don't need more. If we are going to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received, then we actually need to embody the character of the one who gave it to us. It starts with being humble. And being humble is complicated because we've all dealt with people who are just covered in false humility, right? And they're insufferable. Nobody wants to deal with that. Nobody wants to deal with or finds endearing somebody who can't take a compliment or who talks down about themselves all the time when they obviously don't need to. The conversations of, hey, you were great. Oh, it's just lucky. I'm terrible, actually. Nobody wants that. What are we doing? That doesn't help anybody out. It's not honest. That's not humility. Those kinds of interactions are horribly cringeworthy. Being humble isn't about thinking you're terrible and telling everybody else that you are. It's about keeping ourselves in perspective to Jesus and giving God the glory when it goes good. You are great. 
thanks for the encouragement. I'm glad that I have some gifts that God's given me that I can use to be a blessing to others. See the difference. Because in the church, we do a lot more of conversation one than conversation two. Let's lean more towards conversation two and embrace the gifts that God has given us for the good of the church and the blessing that we have. Don't be a doormat. Just pursue the fullness of humility and live into the greatness of God. And along the way of figuring it out, be gentle. I heard it once on a sports talk radio show about 20 years ago from a guy named Colin Cowherd. And it stuck with me ever since, in part due to the irony of a brash talk radio show guy saying it. And he said, no one likes someone who wields truth like a blunt object. Ain't that the case? Right? It's true. Even if you are right, but you're a jerk, you're still a jerk. And that doesn't get us anywhere. Being gentle is being right, wrapped in love and kindness. There's certainly times that difficult things need to be said. But learning to have difficult conversations well and building sufficient relational trust and engagement before trying to have those hard conversations is what gentleness is actually all about. No one likes somebody who wields truth like a blunt object. It's like the church could learn a few things from their Savior Jesus. Like being patient. Because I'll tell you, the past month plus for me has been one of the most trying, draining, and demoralizing times that I can remember in my adult life. I thrive on routine, quiet, and time alone. And really, I think I'd make a great hermit. Now, I have a wife and three kids, so that ship kind of sailed. But books, chores, and quiet, and people who just want me to listen to them, man, like, that sounds like living my best life. There was a town over in Austria that was hiring a town hermit back a couple of years ago. His only job, to live in a cottage up on the hillside, to look down on the town and to be there so they knew they had a watcher and somebody that they could take a pilgrimage who would just go listen to them. That's it. October, though, brought me not a single day in which there was not at least two of the things present. A sick kid at home, days in the hospital with a sick kid, the van in for repairs twice, kids home on vacation or PD days, cancellation of birthday plans for my sick family members, deaths in the family, insomnia, and now the dreaded home renovations. That's never a good thing. It was a month of perpetual hope for recovery and continual disappointment that couldn't happen and having to find a way to dig just a little bit deeper than I thought I ever could have before when I was already sure that I'd hit bedrock. Patience is a virtue that everyone admires that no one wants to develop. I tell you, though, when we're the problem... Patience is something that we always appreciate in others. When we are tired and stressed, that's when we need most to actually be patient. Because embodying the love of Jesus through bearing with others patiently is essential to the church living its best life. 
And all this is made possible through what? The unity of the Spirit in God. Having just come through Remembrance Day this past week, I hope that each of us at some moment were struck again by the cost of selfishness, strife, discord, and unbound ambition. Because on a grand scale, it costs millions of lives. On a smaller scale, it destroys lives daily without patience, gentleness, humility, and grace. The church is called to be agents of peace. Now, certainly peacemakers between others, but maybe most of all to be peacemakers with each other. Paul wrote, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because if we can't work through our own differences well, and be humble with our convictions, be gentle with our words, and bear with each other in patience when we disagree, what business do we have talking to anybody else with the rest of the world? Where do we get off claiming we have answers if we can't even agree on what they are ourselves? Living well as a church starts with unity through the bond of peace in the Spirit. And until we get that right, we shouldn't expect to be all that effective. Now, my kids are fantastic. And that's not the delusion of the average parent who thinks their kids are perfect angels. Because, like, honestly, my kids are real jerks sometimes. But they are genuinely good humans that I would enjoy being around even if they weren't my own kids. Now, early on in their lives, they tried to play Jen and I against each other all the time to try and get what they wanted. If they didn't get what they want from one, well, then they'd just quietly go and ask the other one. And they'd then try and pit us against each other to see if they'd get caught. And you know what? It never worked once. That's right. Because we made a deal at the beginning of it, before we ever had kids, that if we ever disagreed on an issue... That's something that we can resolve later. But kids always had to defeat a united front. Whichever parent spoke first was the law. And we could sort it out later between the two of us if we disagreed. But we always agreed that unity was foremost to making that family work. Even if it was laborious and difficult. Even if we disagreed than the other one and thought we knew better. Unity in the church is just as important to living our best life and living up to the calling that we have received. But what we try to unite around, though, makes all the difference. Because folks that unite around differences, instead of commonalities, are bound to fracture and just keep dividing more and more over new differences. And all too often, well, that's the nature of the North American church, as it follows individualistic Western culture. And it's why we have all these ridiculous numbers of denominations and factions out there instead of just the church. Because we've identified ourselves over what we have different instead of identifying ourselves over what we have in common. Everything in our culture tells us to form our identities around what makes us unique, what our differences are. But as humans, we share like 90% or more of life in common. Our identities, our physiology, our relationships, all of that, we really are the same. 
And it's just that 10% that destroys relationships and starts wars. And I'd like to offer you that if we really want to heal the differences that we have in churches and our society, it starts with accepting and focusing on what we hold in common. Focusing on the ones, as I'm going to call them for the next few minutes here. Not on the differences that make us special. Because living out our best life as a church is found by together embodying the character of Christ through the unity of the Spirit. So live out the reality of unity that exists in Christ. What unites a church isn't common enemies or their differences from others. That just leads to more fractures, more factions, and more dissension over time. As people again and again unite against the next person that they find a difference with. What Paul encouraged the Ephesians to reunite around and find peace with was what they actually held in common. And it's interesting to note, too, that that wasn't something that they manufactured by their own efforts over time, but rather was something that already existed in their midst through the Spirit that they had to recognize and remind themselves of. Unity isn't something that we choose and then try to make happen. Unity is something that is and we recognize it in the Spirit, and then work towards letting that be our reality. Because any time that we split, divide, act like there's divergence, or separate and deny the unity of life in Jesus, we deny the reality of the Spirit of Christ. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Unity is realized and built around the fact that there is indeed only one body, the church. One spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God. There is no multiplicity. There is only unity. And to split, divide, or delineate is to deny the reality of Christ and his church and the spirit that is alive and active in it. It's funny and it's not, right? Because I've been there through that conversation. There is only one body. The church is the metaphoric body of Christ. And the depths of that may never fully be plumbed or understood, but... It means we are in some way mystically joined with Jesus. We are no longer judged for our sin. We are beneficiaries of his resurrection here and now and for all eternity when he returns. We are joined with each other as parts of this body. We are empowered and called to do the work of his body that he started in his earthly ministry and that the church now embodies and carries on. If someone declares Jesus as Lord and tries to faithfully follow him, even if you don't like some of the stuff that they think or do, they are indeed the church just as much as you. Not one of many churches, but the church. Because there are how many bodies? There is one. So there are how many churches? One. And when we try and divide, distinguish, or delineate amongst that, we deny the unity of the body of Christ. And folks, that's a problem. 
We are indeed united in one body, and that commonality is what unites us through the one Spirit. Because there is only one Spirit, the Spirit that dwelled among Israel, that appeared as tongues of fire on the head of the first Christians, that led the early church fathers to compile what we call the Bible, that indwells Catholic and Orthodox Christians the same as us today, that speaks in tongues through our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, even if we're uncomfortable with it, and convicted our early forebearers as Mennonites to put down their weapons, to declare the peace of Christ in their midst. And that is the same one spirit that Jesus promised his disciples and is the spirit that will continue to indwell and lead the church until the day Jesus returns. There is one spirit that is in all, that works through all, and for the good and blessing of all, and that is the spirit of Jehovah God from eternity past into eternity future. There is but one spirit in the church, and it is the spirit that calls us one body before the Lord. Because there is only one Lord. The one Lord that loved his creation so much that he promised to redeem them when they denied him, when they walked away. And when they decided, they knew better than him. The one Lord that was willing to patiently bear with that creation as they wandered to and from faith throughout generations. Until that one Lord came to live amongst his creation to redeem them once and for all through his death and resurrection. That one Lord that offered life and hope for all through him if they would turn to follow him as his people and live in the way of life and redemption that his kingdom came to offer. There is one leader, one Lord, worthy of that name and worth offering allegiance to once and for all time. And that one Lord is Jesus. There is one only faith in Christ. Allegiance is declared to him and him alone through the one faith in Christ and his church. There is no multiplicity of faiths and Christian views, but one faith. The faith that does not care how long it took to create the world at God's hands. It does not worry about what version of the Bible is read. It is not concerned with whether it is wine or grape juice on Sunday morning in communion. It does not decide salvation based on vaccine status. And it is not formed around what differences of opinion we might have, but is instead formed around the person who that faith is in. Now, I've got opinions on every one of those things, certainly. But when it comes down to it, not a single one of my opinions matters a lick as to whether I love you and call you a brother and sister in Christ. And if you think any of those things do matter, we got a problem. Because we have one faith through one spirit in one Lord. The one and only Jesus Christ. Allegiance is declared to him and him alone through the one faith in Christ and his church. Not a multiplicity of faith, but one faith. The one faith that holds that God created in eternity past, that humans walked away from God. That God promised he would redeem and save them despite all of their faithlessness. That God came in person to do just that in Jesus' life, who was lived as an example of his one kingdom, And his death was offered as a sacrifice to deal with sin and bring new life to the full. That someday he is coming back again to live with us forever. Where there will be no more death, sadness, crying or pain. Because the one Lord 
will be with his one church and be made right through Jesus. That's faith in one person and one Lord for every one of us. And we are joined with him through that one baptism. This isn't to get into the argument of whether there's a baptism of the Spirit and a baptism in water on separate occasions. It's to say there isn't a baptism of John or a baptism of Paul or Peter or Apollos or Mike or Ben that's more or less valuable than any other one. There is only one baptism that believers go through, and it doesn't matter who does the dunking. Because in baptism, the one baptism into the one church led by the one spirit of the one Lord that is the spirit of the one God. And there is only one God. The one and only God that was there in the beginning, that has been there all along and will be there in the end, who is over all, through all, and in all. The one God to whom one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the one Lord and to the glory of God the Father. And if you can't get excited about that and get behind that, then what are we even doing here? The church has never lived its best life as a social club or as an activist group or as a distinct society gathered against its foes. Deciding who it is based on who they are not. But rather the church lives its best life when it lives out the character of Christ through recognizing and living out the empowering unity of the spirit of peace in our midst. That is unity and peace that only the one spirit can provide. Living our best life as a church is found by together embodying the character of Christ through the unity of the Spirit. Let's live into that reality, church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are good and you are gracious. You have seen it all. You are with us in the midst of it all. And you will be with us right through the end. Spirit, we thank you for the power that you have given us to be your people. That for each one who turns to follow you, that you have sealed us with your power for salvation and given us the gifts that we need to be able to serve you well together. Lord, we acknowledge the unity that comes through being a part of your body. We acknowledge the peace that you desire for us through your spirit. And we pray, Spirit, you would empower us, humble us, and give us the grace to live into that reality. Lord, we may we be known as a people of love, grace, forgiveness, the desire to have you known and praised above all other things. Lord, may the reality and love and unity that comes in your spirit come to be the hallmark of each of our lives and our life as a church for your good and your glory so that your kingdom may come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.